This morning, I, uh, first slide, Simon, he's going to be my clicker because my hands are going to be busy with stuff I'm going to be doing here. Um, I saw an illustration a few years back, and it's the first time I saw what I thought was a comparison of different gospels. What is the gospel? What is the good news? And the last 15 years, I've been learning about my identity in Christ. I've been learning about living in grace and running and shunning, from, shunning legalism, the stuff we have to do to make God like us or make us right or even keep us right or get us forgiven or even the stuff we have to do to keep ourselves forgiven. It's baloney. That unlearning has been painful. But in that, in that time, I've come to see what, what is this good news. And on that journey, I've had conflicts. I've had my pendulum swing this way and that way, and it's like you almost go with a beat to it. It's, it's pretty funny when you, when you see the journey. And I know many of you here, you've also had a journey. And in that journey, I've discovered that there are opposing views. And one of the best ways I have learned, and I know not all, but many, learn by seeing a contrast. What's the difference between these two? They may look similar, and you go, oh yeah, it's the same thing. No, it's, it, it may not be the same thing. So I want to talk to you about the gospel and chairs. Now, next slide. This, I'm going to tell you where I got this from. The illustration that I'm going to demonstrate for you was put together by a, named, a guy named Anthony Carbo. He's a priest at a church in Colorado Springs. Uh, he's the one who came up with this illustration. But it's been illustrated in video format. You can go online and, and on YouTube, just type in gospel and chairs, and boom, all these guys will come up. Uh, Steve Robinson, he's an Orthodox priest. He's got that beard thing and the black cloak thing and does the chair thing. It, it's, it's cool. Uh, Brad Jerzak, whom some of you know, uh, uh, has done this. And that, that was the first time, or second time I've seen it. Then Brian Zond, Word of Life Church pastor, he did it. He's, he's a little more animated. And then Bruxy Cavey of the Meeting House did it. It's like, wow, this is, this is exciting. And about a year and a half ago, Steve McVeigh asked me if I would do this. I'm like, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been scared to do it ever since. I'm forced to do it now because I have nothing else to share this morning. <laughs> and, and this I want to share with you is the gospel and chairs. Next slide. I want to begin with a foundation. In fact, I have a couple foundations. This text is critically important. Really, really, really important. And we're not even going to dive into all of it because there's way too much to dive into. This is a sermon right there. But I want to read it for you because you're going to see some of these truths in what I'm going to share with you or show you. You'll see it. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, all, 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 not some, all things. You get it? All? Okay. All things came into being through Him. Really important to get that. And apart from Him, just to make it clear, nothing came into being. In case you didn't get this, duh, I'm going to reiterate it. That's how serious he is about this. If he's putting the emphasis on it, there's a reason for it. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not 
comprehend it. Really important. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh, a.k.a. Christmas, and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Next slide. If we're going to look at the gospel, what is the gospel? In fact, uh, I'm sure if somebody were to sit down and ask you, so what's the gospel? Uh, uh, um, Jesus, uh, <laughs> what would we say? That's a great question because how are we going to answer that? First of all, the gospel is not a theory. And by the way, it's not an atonement theory either. The gospel is the story. The story of God loving humanity through Jesus. That's the gospel. It's the good news. And it's got to be good news for everybody or it's not good news for anybody. Number one foundation, I have a couple more later after the first illustration. God does not change. Immutable. Do you know what a mute... Or a, um, um, Somebody who uh, uh, changes. What's, what's that called? Mutant. Thank you. Thank you. Ten, tur, teenage turtles. That's right. <laughs> a mutant. A mutant alters. Things alter and they, and they change from what they originally were. Okay? God does not change. Period. Non-negotiable. This is really important if You'll, if you don't catch it in the sermon, you'll go back after and rewatch this online. Go, oh, that's why he made that point. This is really important. He does not change. Number two, God, who does not change, is revealed in Christ. Not Moses, not Elijah, not John the Baptist. Not through the law. The law does not reveal Christ. God is revealed in Christ. God sent Jesus to reveal Christ. Uh, sorry, God sent Jesus to reveal himself. And I'll talk about that later. With that in mind, I want to do a comparison of the gospel. The first story, next slide. The first story I'm going to give you, see, lots of words. The first story I'm going to give you is the gospel according to what we are used to. It's, I call it the incomplete version, but it's the one we're most familiar with. And much of it, there's a lot of truth in it, but not all of it is. And I'll show you the comparison in the second one. But the gospel begins like this. God. White chair. God was in the beginning, and he created man in his own image. Perfect someone to love and be loved by, to be in wonderful fellowship. They got along great. It was a regular thing. But then came the day where Adam and Eve sinned and they turned their back on God. They became sinners. They were separated from God. God, being holy, not able to look at sin, he's righteous, pure, he turned his back on them and expelled them from the garden. 
kicked him out. Man then tried to reconnect to God through acts of sacrifice. Cain and Abel, remember that story? They did the burnt offerings. One, one guy's smoke went sideways and the other guy's went up and was more acceptable. Don't know if they, he was caught in a crosswind or what. We don't know. But then Abraham, same thing. He too tried to earn something with God and tried to kill his son, sacrifice his son after he presumed God wanted him to. But God wanted nothing to do with that. In fact, he said, no way. Man kept trying, but that wasn't possible. There was a blindness there. There was no way for them to connect. So God did something incredible. God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to be a man, to live the perfect life, to live the sinless life, so he can take care of his creation, who he says he loves. He was sinless. But then, man took Jesus and crucified him, put him on the cross. Put him on the cross, because it's, that's what was predicted. And God, in his determination, saw that Jesus was on the cross. Let's say this is Jesus now. Let's do a switch. God turned his back on Jesus at the cross because God is too holy to look at sin. It says that in Habakkuk. You are too holy. So God turns us back. And then God pours out his anger and his wrath and he punishes Jesus. Gets it out of his system. And then Jesus dies. As he dies, he then is raised by God, his Father. And as he's raised to life, He then offers, this is Jesus now, offers, (laughs) we switched. Jesus offers the world his good news and salvation. If you believe facing God, if you say yes to this, for those who say, yes, I believe, if you choose, then you will experience salvation, you will have forgiveness You will have eternal bliss in heaven, but if you refuse to believe, God will turn his back on you, and you turn your back on him. You will then spend the rest of eternity covered by his wrath. You see, at this point, God can only see his son if you believe. So those who believe, God sees Jesus. He doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sin. I think it was Martin Luther who said, we're just snow-covered dung, which is another word for poo, just in case you didn't know. Farm terms are much more realistic. That's what Martin Luther called it. Or one contemporary pastor these days says that Jesus covers us with an asbestos suit protecting us from the fiery hot wrath of the Father. You have heard this, yes. Yeah, most of you have. That, that is what is the gospel these days. 
That's what I grew up with believing. How many of you recognize this gospel? Okay. I didn't say it was fully true. I said, do you recognize hearing it like this? Okay. I want to present a second one. Could you swap those? I want to present a second gospel, and I want to lay a foundation. I want to continue laying a foundation. Stuff that we weren't told. Simon, next slide. Along with the other two for sures that God does not change and God is revealed in Jesus, we need to remember that Jesus created everything. We saw that in that one verse, correct? Okay. Creation, all of creation is where? In Christ. You have to remember this. Christ also, according to Colossians, holds all things together. He's the glue. He holds everything together. If he didn't, you'd disappear. Number four, separation is an illusion. It's in your mind. After all, how can we be separated? Number five, Jesus came to reveal the Father. That was what he came to do. And yes, he had other things to do, but he came to reveal the Father because they had not gotten it right so far. There was an incomplete, a shadowy picture of God throughout the entire Old Testament. Incomplete, not accurate. And Jesus came and corrected it. Lastly, God is love. Is light and is life. Somebody may quickly run around and say, wait, 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 but he's also just. He's also holy. That's the typical response. That's fine. Yes, he's holy, but define it, please. What does just mean? You need to define that too. The Bible says he is love, light, and life. His essence, DNA, is love. So let's take a look. And what I call, next slide, a more complete gospel. A more beautiful gospel, as Brian Zahn calls it. I love that title. In fact, I titled it that on the YouTube thing, if you're watching on YouTube. A more beautiful gospel. It starts off very much the same way. God created the world. And he created man in his image. Perfect, wonderful, righteous, loved, live long and prosper. Okay? This is what the garden was like. It was beautiful. Adam and Eve sinned and turned their backs on God. They were now subject to futility and death. Death was the problem. And they were dead in their minds. They had lost a perspective of who God was in the garden. They were alienated from God, where, if you read your scriptures carefully, it says, in their mind. That's where the alienation took place. That's where the separation took place, in the mind. And what does God do? He does not turn his back. He chases them. Hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? Hey, guys, what's going on? We have, we're naked. Who told you that? 
Whose mind changed in the garden? It was not God's mind. He was continuing to pursue. And a hint, watch the direction of this chair the entire rest of the story. Really important you catch that. Adam and Eve were pursued by God. He knew exactly what they did. And he came in just like every other day. Hey, how's it going? And they had their minds darkened and were alienated in their minds. God then, in his love, becomes a man, Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the gospel story shows him interacting with man, his creation. They did not recognize the light. (laughs) Interesting. But he was the light. And he came. What does it look like? He meets a woman. A woman who seriously had some marital problems. I think she's on number six. Even seven, who knows? Because Jesus said, the one you're with now ain't even your husband. Maybe she was having an affair. We don't know. But she's at a well during the day, which is the hottest time of day, which is the place where those who are rejected and shamed go because they don't have to be around others. And she meets Jesus, and she feels this from him. She recognizes he's somebody important. And Jesus looks at her shame and goes, Oh, my child, my child, my child, I'm actually here to give you better water than you have that you're trying to drink. I'm going to give you the water of life, my life. Believe it. Then he meets a, a man who is short, hated by so many people, tax collector, Zacchaeus. And one of the things in their culture was, Jesus came to him, looked up the tree, said, yo, what's up? I'm coming to your house, what you got on? What this means is he is embracing. When somebody comes into your home, there is a public saying, you're saying, declaring publicly, I'm okay with this guy. Guilty by association. Why do you think the religious people went nuts judging him? Jesus attracted those people. He was drawn to them. They were blind. He said, I will eat with you. Hmm. None of us are outside of the realm of eating with the Lord. Enjoying the Lord's company. All of us are included at the table. Everybody. Well, then we have this individual who comes along. She is caught in adultery. She does something terrible. Thrown before Jesus. You can see immediately her shame. Oh my goodness, terrible. In fact, she's thrown down. She's gone, she's, oh my goodness, she's naked. She's barely clothed. She just got caught in the act of adultery. Jesus doesn't turn his back. Goes down with her. In love, kneels. Starts writing in the ground. And none of us know at all what he said, what he wrote. You can guess till the moon goes around the earth 25 times backwards. You'll never get it. We don't know. 
but all the accusers left. And then he said, so, who are your accusers? And she said, they've all gone. And then Jesus lifts her up. Faces her. Says, I don't condemn you either. Now go. Don't do this anymore. Doesn't look good on you. I made you better than that. Be who I made you to be. And then, in the dark, the dark of night, there is a man who ceased to be who he thought he was since he was possessed not just by one, by a legion of demons. He's turned his back on what everything he knew. Jesus comes. The man looks at him. Oh no, what do I do? Jesus doesn't turn his back. He speaks into the man. Release! And out come all the demons. The man is restored. He's blown away. His psyche, his mental health, his body, everything changed. He became restored and healed. I want to follow you the rest of my life. And Jesus said, no, I got enough guys here. Go back and, and tell your village what I've done. Wow, and he goes. Then there comes a man along who, because Jesus was teaching in a person's house, and this guy is dropped through the ceiling on a mat. His buddies cared enough for him to bring him to the healer. Does Jesus do this? I've got time for you. No. He says, your sins are forgiven. All the religious leaders are freaking out. Who can forgive sins? Oh, yeah, Jesus says, well, watch this. Take up your mat and go. Off he goes. Gone. Because Jesus brings healing. There's another man who is stuck in Bethsaida. He's at a pool and can't get in. He's sick. Everybody else beats him into the pool when it's stirred by a supposed angel because he wants to get healed. And Jesus does this. Chases him down, finds him. Did you ever figure that out? Did you realize that? He's the only one Jesus spoke to at that pool. One person spoke to him. Do you want to be healed? And it makes you ask the question. He had to answer the question. I've been here forever. Nope, that's an excuse. Do you want to be healed? <sighs> Jesus will pursue you until you are at a place where you can actually respond with clarity. Not just react, but respond. Say, okay, I get it. Then there's this woman rejected by her peers. She's a woman who bleeds a lot. That ain't cool. Dirty, unclean, that's what she's perceived. And she then chases Jesus, touches his robe, and he goes, hey, something went out of me. He turns to her. She suddenly shies away. Ah, nope, get back here. 
who touched me? And he speaks into her life. You see, he pursues the desperate. Those who are shamed, put down. Then Jesus is sitting in a room with a group of people. And along comes a woman named Mary. Humble. Sees him. Feels this. But then she's come to know him. She can actually face him now. And in her thanksgiving for the care and direction he faces continually with her, she takes out an extremely expensive flask of oil and begins to pour it on his feet. And sure enough, money bags says, hey, the disciple in charge of the money, he says, hey, wait a minute, that's expensive. You should sell that and help the poor and all that. I get a cut too. You know, he, this is... What's going on? But no, the purity of response to pure love. This is what love response looks like. And then man comes along and crucifies Jesus. Puts him on a cross. Man puts him on a cross. God foresaw it, predicted it, But God didn't do it. Man did. So Jesus is on the cross now. And we are told that God turned his back. That's not true at all. God was actually, listen, in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself at the cross. There was no separation, an illusion. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me give you two things, because that's where most people think God turned his back on Jesus. But if you just read a little further, because it is a declaration of Psalm 22. Further on down, it says, I will not turn my back on you. So Jesus is doing one of two things. Perhaps, or both. I don't know. I talked about this at Easter. But either Jesus is so in a place of darkness, he can't perceive his Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, uh, God says, I didn't. I'm here. Or, because that psalm is a messianic psalm, everybody knew that psalm. He just said, Psalm 22! Or, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was declaring, this is the time. This is the death. It's come. All that you've been reading for so many years of this this psalm, it's here and now. And if Jesus was blinded, he was reminding himself, ah, but my Father is here. I may feel that. I don't trust my feelings. I will declare truth. Who knows? Either way, it is good news. Jesus dies. This is Jesus dying. He goes into the ground, goes to the grave, but he does something that we're not told. He takes humanity with him. This is huge. Nobody told me this part. It was at the cross. Jesus died, took all of humanity into himself, 
and went down to the grave, went to Hades, went to Sheol, and he declared the gospel, declared the victory, and freed the souls. They're free. This is critically important. And then when Jesus was raised, guess what? We were all raised with him. All. Not just some. Not just some. This is the gospel. Jesus went down, but he took you down with him. And when he went up, he raised you up with him. When he rose, we rose. There is no place God isn't at all. Love fills the entire creation because all of creation is held together by Christ who is love. Here's the good news. If you believe it, this is the gospel because we're told to declare, go tell people of the reconciliation. That's what we're told to do. Declare the reconciliation that has taken place. Reconciliation is talking about relationship, where relationship was like this. Remember the Bible says we're enemies of God? How many remember that verse? Oh yeah, see, what are you going to do with that one? Huh, huh? Well, here's what it is. Look at the word up. Look the word up in your dictionary. Enemy. It's one-sided. Don, I could be your enemy, but not the other way around. That's very possible. He could love me like crazy, but I can't stand him. Vice versa. That can't happen because you're too easy to like. (laughs) But being an enemy is one-sided. The humanity was an enemy of God because they were blind. They didn't know. But when we declare the reconciliation that has taken place and ask people to do this, believe it, or it's of no benefit to you. Because if you believe it, you will experience the love and grace of Christ now and forevermore. If you don't believe it, by the way, as a believer, you will experience the fire of God, which is his love. Fire. God is a consuming fire. If you choose to not believe it, it doesn't change. God will keep firing his love on you. You just, you just can't, sorry. Not, not, not possible. But do you know what it's going to feel like? It's like a parent giving their teenage kid, who, they're, who the kid's mad at them, giving them a hug. Kid hates it. But mom and dad just love it, trying to melt their heart. The, I think it was um, uh, Paul who said, love your enemies because it will be like pouring heaping coals on their heads. Fire. Love your enemy. Didn't God tell us to love our enemies? Wait. If we were enemies of God and God gave the declaration, God said, love your enemies, everybody is loved. Everybody. Good news. This is the gospel. And those who choose not to believe, they will still have the fire and love of God hitting them, and it will feel like negative wrath and judgment. It'll feel like it. But it's the same fire and love. This is good news.
Do you see this more beautiful gospel? This is what we've been called to. This makes evangelism so much easier. It's not about getting somebody to sign the card for club membership to get forgiven. Jesus already forgave the world. Forgiveness is not the issue. The old gospel associates believing in Jesus with then at that point becoming forgiven. We were forgiven long before you believed. Do you ever think about if Jesus had to pay that on the cross, right? If that was paid, then how is it forgiveness? You can't buy forgiveness. It's not paid for. We're forgiven. He, instead, Jesus, took care of death and gave us life, his life, created a new species, a new creation called in Christ. This is good news. Next slide. What's the difference? The difference between these two Gospels, first, is God's response. How man thought God responded versus how he did respond. In the garden, you saw it. Adam and Eve, they turned from God because they thought they sinned. And they thought God turned, thought God turned his back, but he did not. He chased them, pursued them. It's, it's a mindset. And then man's perspective of God. Man's perspective of God is huge. Because how you perceive God is exactly how you will live. I want to show you something different that's not been in the videos. And uh, I need uh, Dave. I want you to help me bring those three sets of chairs up here. Just hand me one at a time and we'll do it. Thank you. Thank you. The first gospel, the Trinity, was like three chairs, separate. Okay? There was, there's not a lot of connection there. You know, they kind of did sort of their own thing. Maybe didn't hear about them all at the same time. But there's a division between them. Because after all, God turned his back on Jesus. So they could not have been connected. Do you see it? In the second gospel, there's three distinct beings. Distinct personalities. They're all active. It's still three. It's wonderful. But there's also this. They're one. They're in each other. Super, super connected. There is no separation in the Trinity at all. And then, nobody talks about this part. Their relationship. How do they relate? Father, Son, Spirit. Look at that. Facing each other in perfect relationship and love. And do you know what he's done? He has placed us in the middle to be loved. This is the gospel. This is good news. Not hopeful good news. It is Good news, not potential. It could be good news for you. No, it is. Now believe it. 
If you don't, nothing changes for you. The money's in your bank account, but if you don't believe it, you will not use that money. You've been given billions of dollars in your bank account. It's yours. It's been given to you. Once you access it, appropriate it, believe it, and do something about it, wow, the benefits are really cool. I'm open for donations. (laughs) Next slide. We're going to end with this. Romans 8, 38. Summing it up, this is the grand slam bottom of the ninth. And I am sort of persuaded. No, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his, say it, okay, that's important. Death can't. When I'm at a funeral, I point to the casket and say, death can't separate that person from God's love. I love doing funerals. I'm weird, I know. (laughs) Death can't. Life can't. The angels can't. As in, I've heard people say, well, I I had a vision, an angel came to me and told me, I don't care. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Angels can't. Demons can't. Life can't. Demons can't. Our fears for today. Believe me, this is one for today. A lot of fears today. Those fears and concerns cannot separate you from the love of God. Our worries about tomorrow. Oh, we're good at that one, aren't we? Even the, listen, powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. And what this will do, it could cause a question, well, then what is hell? Well, fancy you asking that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Well, let me look at the first gospel. If it is the rotisserie channel, or the fireplace channel, if that's what it is, because it's believed that that is separation from God, is that not what you've heard Did I just not share with you and prove to you there's no such thing as separation? Because even if God created that place that we've been told, Dante's Inferno, if that place has been created, who do you think holds it together? Okay? If you're going to go that far. Well, that kind of starts to deconstruct that one pretty quick. Even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. That does not mean they're going to believe it, but it's there. Whether we're high above the sky or hiding away, getting away, running away, escaping to the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. And where is it revealed? In Christ Jesus. Wow. Now believe it. You are held together by his love. That's why you can't be separated from his love. And it's revealed in Christ Jesus. That's absolutely amazing. Last point. Really last. Do you remember in John, we read God is light? 
light shines through darkness. Okay. Are there people who are in darkness? Yes. Does the light shine through their darkness? Yes. And as it says in Matthew, if the light that is in you is darkness to you who who does not believe, then how great is that darkness? Oh my goodness, it's huge. Is it not? It says, if the light that is in you, therefore it is there already. I speak to people's light now. I don't try and convert anybody. I speak love and light into people. Hoping it connects with the light that is in them, even if they don't see any light. I'm hoping it'll wake up a light, do a click, something. That is my goal for this world, to spread the love of Christ and reveal it in all humanity. And I've seen people change without saying a prayer. They just believe. I didn't tell them to. Two Gospels. Yes, it's simplistic. Okay? Somebody's going to argue, well, you just left all this other stuff out. Well, that's nice. I'm giving a general, incredibly important comparison of what I have seen and what I've come to believe now. Thank you. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Good news. The, the declaration the angels declared, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And it is for all people. I pray all people will come to believe. Not all do. Not all are believers. And I pray you keep working on unbelievers. Those who are in their own darkness and yet light is in them. I pray this in the love of Christ's name. Amen.